0: You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan.
1: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. With me today is Michael Spencer, an tech veteran and former senior director of international business at K-12. Michael is currently working to help American companies make the leap overseas. And even before the pandemic made distance learning a necessity, Michael has seen international governments growing more receptive to foreign tech companies offering blended learning solutions. But now in the pandemic, uh, I believe that those efforts have been obviously accelerated. Michael, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So let's um, talk. I mean, unfortunately, I would like to have another topic to talk about, uh, but it really is the one overarching uh, issue that, that we're dealing with. Talk a little bit about, um, from your own personal perspective, when you saw this changing into a global issues, specifically in terms of schools moving to uh, remote learning techniques?
0: Yeah, uh, I, I've spent the better half of my career focusing on, on uh, taking ed tech companies internationally. And it's always been from the perspective of implementing uh, any number of education programs in multiple blended learning models. Um, in these international school operators. Uh, Models can vary from uh, full classroom instruction uh, to uh, support online to fully the other side where you have complete virtual uh, implementations and using in-class instruction for remedial and support related um, issues. Um, I, I started to started to see an increased awareness of these international school operators um, wanting to migrate more of their in-class instruction uh, to online earlier this year. And as you started to see the impact of, of international governments responding to the pandemic in the countries – um, initially, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't such a response to, to transition or migrate, but as, as the pandemic started to um, bear on these economies, uh, the infection rates ballooning up, uh, unfortunately, the death tolls as well, um, it accelerated. And we are now starting to see that acceleration in, in a lot of these foreign countries to where now these international school operators um, just in the past month, have been reaching out uh, to to our firm to help them uh, migrate um, a lot of what they do in class to online. So I'd, I'd say a lot of that has been happening um, just in, in the past month and a half.
1: Okay. Have you seen, uh, I mean, I guess the crisis began uh, in January, right? With, with, uh, yep. China. Uh, I have a brother who lives in Hong Kong, and uh, they were uh, – mm-hmm actually packed up and came to New York um, only to be continuing uh, the quarantine. Um, but he was mentioning about how it's, you know, it's coming, just be ready. And a lot of the schools there in Hong yep. Kong had been shut down. Now he reports they're back in Hong Kong. Um, they're they're back in action over there. Are there lessons from yep. some of these first, you know, these first moving countries and schools and uh, even private schools uh, that, leaders here in the us can take a look at uh, to talk, to try and emulate um, I, I think uh, I mean what
0: I, what I've seen internationally is uh, in, in some countries um, there was a complete lockdown to where now the opening up has um, you know obviously provided uh, a lesser degree of infections and you're not going to see such a a larger spike in in that second um, um, second phase, right? Um, and, and so to a very large extent, a lot of these countries that shut down early um, are going to be able to resume to some degree um, you know, in-class instruction. To, to what degree, that's still unknown. Um, but there are several other countries that re- responded very late. In fact, almost didn't shut down and more um, just sort of um, didn't adhere to the shelter in place. And a- as a result of that, what, what you're seeing now is a, a um, second, second phase of infections that are going to be significantly higher than the first one. Um, and you're starting to see a lot of that in the news. Um, a, a lot of these countries that, that didn't adhere to the shutdowns earlier. And so the impact to schools now has has been um, a transition in the mindset of those, those school operators to um, let's explore some sort of still in-class instruction and online instruction to now we have to go fully online because the severity of the impact of this is such that they don't know if they're going to be opening up, or schools will be starting up uh, in the fall session. So they are at this point realizing they're not going to be able to. There's a high chance that they won't, and that they need to um, provide some sort of full online um, environment for the balance of the year and perhaps further.
1: How have you seen uh, providers pivot in all of this? You know, while the schools are doing the transition, how about from a from a company perspective? How have uh, folks had to reinvent and rearrange? Or mm, good, good question, um,
0: and and, uh, and that's to a very large extent where where you know we we come in. Um, a lot of times, these these, these companies, these education companies, um, you know, they make their products available to the school, and the school then in turn takes ownership of of having to understand how the technology is and how it's implemented in the school and how it's used. Um, we have been working with a lot of these ed tech companies to not only um, help the schools understand how the technology is used, but going the extra mile and explaining to them how it should be used, how it should be implemented, and how it should be managed and support on an ongoing basis. And to successfully do that, you need to you need to enlist three to four key groups of people in these education institutions. Obviously, the the directors who obviously uh, buy into the program and make it available to these international school operators, but you also have to have the on-site staff that's going to manage service, support, um, and implement the programs at the schools, but now you have to touch the parents and the students and get them actively involved so that the program upon implemented, now in a different environment, fully online, is is going to um, continue to function and achieve the student outcomes that the program is supposed to achieve, not only in years one, but years two, three, and forward. And so the mindset is really changing to: These ed tech companies have to get involved in explaining how the program works. And and continues to to um, achieve its its goals inside the institutions.
1: Right. Uh, you bring up parents, which I find to be a really interesting aspect of all of this madness. I've been covering education technology for 15 years, and of course we always talk about the kids. It's mm-hmm. all about the kids. Mm-hmm. We talk about the faculty. We talk about the administration. And up until now, and it was something I just never even thought about, really, is um, having parents be part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about that. How do companies now have to, I mean, do companies now have to market to parents? Do they have to rebrand? Uh, do they have to provide professional development for parents? Um, not so, uh, yes, professional development,
0: but I, I would say more from the perspective of, of- they need to get, They need to make sure that the parents are engaged for the simple reason, the students are going to be studying from home now, right? Depending on where we land with this this pandemic, um, students are going to have to be doing their their in-class instruction from home. <clears throat> and who's the who's the key facilitator? Who's the key moderator um, in the home environment? It's the parent, right? And and so the parents are going to need to be involved um, not only in in what their students are doing, but also supervising and perhaps managing them. Now, there is obviously a component, um, either synchronous or asynchronous with the school that the school hopefully can provide, but to a very large extent, the the person that's going to be overseeing this is going to be the parent, so they do need to actively be involved.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, talk a little bit about uh, another kind of glaring uh, issue that has has. has reared its, its ugly head uh, in terms of digital equity and the access to not only devices, but to um, internet access. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you see on, from an international perspective? You have um, various regions who have greater uh, levels of right. poverty. How are they dealing with this? Uh, and, you know, this really kind of exposed the underbelly here in the United States too. I mean, suggestions on how uh, the industry itself can help address these issues. Uh, Issues.
0: Yep. Um, great, great question. Um, with, with a lot of companies now migrating to HTML5 and, and forward, a lot of the content is becoming available online. So you're, you're, you're now opening up that aperture for many devices and the different OSs that these devices have, ranging from your high-end laptops to your low-end, you know, netbooks and Chromebooks, um, have, have all the basic um, applications to access the content. Now, in these, in these international schools, you've got varying schools that basically, you know, vary um, based on socioeconomic means and, and um, academic. Um, for, the, for the more higher-level schools, uh, you know, they'll, they'll continue to have students that have their own laptops. But in, in sort of the, the lower socioeconomic school systems and operators, um, they, they have some challenges. But again, with content now becoming easily, uh, more easily accessible, then it becomes a function of putting a device in these schools. And it doesn't have to be such a robust and powerful device. It can be as far as a thin client – um, with very very minimal components, which obviously translates to lower costs, and you have now um, thin client manufacturers um, in in country uh, making these these devices available. Now with with the with the pandemic and 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 what has you know set in on in these countries, you have a tremendous amount of corporate and government involvements, which are are coming to the aid of these of these schools and providing the appropriate financing um, uh, of devices to be able to bridge that inequality.
1: And uh, do you have any specific examples of that or anything that you've seen over the past couple of weeks where you're like, wow, they're, they're really doing a good job with that?
0: Yep. Um, I've seen several in Southeast Asia, uh, Vietnam, uh, Korea, um, Mexico, and Brazil, where you have Large school operators, um, largest one that we work with, uh, upwards of 2 million students, um, seek um, and, you know, seek funding from both nonprofits and, and the government to provide their student populations with, with thin client devices. So now what you have is you're, you've been able to bridge the gap now where students can um, use these devices um, yeah. from home.
1: How about uh, any particular innovations or s- silver linings where uh, once this transition has, has taken place, um, schools or, or countries are like, wow, we, we should have been doing this all along. <laughs> um,
0: it, it's interesting. Uh, you know, for the most part, a lot of these international school operators um, are well aware of, of online learning and to a very large extent, um, you know, because the, because students have access either through devices or cell phones, um, they're not necessarily always um, dependent on a location with internet connection, right? Um, and, and so for a, very, for, for a very large portion of these students, um, if they can continue to do their, their, their education um, through a device, but also from their cell phones, which doesn't rely or doesn't require a local internet connection um, most of the time, that, that is going to help. And that's, that's um, uh, gonna, gonna be key also in uh, um, a lot of these uh, technology companies, being able to provide uh, and continuously make their, avail- their content available to students, be it in a classroom, on a tablet, at home, on a netbook, or neither of those two, but on a cell phone, right. perhaps somewhere else. Right. That's not in the school.
1: If you don't mind, I'm going to shift a little bit to, to focus specifically on the education industry and in the, in the ed tech industry, which um, I spent the past 10 years going over to the Beck Show. And The, the, the first year I went to that… Um, mm-hmm. It kind of blew my mind, right? I mean, I, I always kind of thought ISTI was the big show and that was the international show. Uh, and then found, yeah. discovered, yeah. Uh, yeah. bet. And, yeah. you know, all of these innovations are happening from a global perspective. And even more recently, in the past year or so, mm-hmm. I was getting invitations to go to Hong Kong, to do, Dubai, the UAE, was doing mm-hmm. some r- really innovative stuff. Yeah. Uh, and But they were also all. Predicated on face to face, you know, to have these conventions and, and, and these meetings. Uh, now that's evaporated. Um, what do you What do you see on the horizon in terms of creating a truly global ed tech industry? Are we going to ha- be able to replicate those events online? Is the industry going to continue to to thrive? I mean, there's certainly a need for it. Um. Yeah, I mean, we, we can't deny
0: that that face to face interaction is is obviously um, one one of the best, right? Um, and and so I, I do think um, that that these venues um, will become uh, well, I mean, they'll become available face to face, albeit there may be some you know guidelines in place uh, as you as you are seeing it now. There are current U.S. Um, venues that are uh, have have pushed back their their events, but are requiring you know social distancing, hand sanitizers every so hundred feet, um, you know uh, face masks or you know masks um, on the international space. Um, you know a, a little bit more challenging. Um, I, I think what you're going to see from from the international perspective is that they're going to continue to to hold their events. Obviously, under obviously similar guidelines, but you're probably going to see more regional ed tech companies participating the, at those than you will see um, them uh, flush with domestic companies, but also internationally. I've been to the BETs several times, the you know uh, uh, GESS Dubai, other countries as well as Brazil, and you know when you go to these things, you see a mixture of both international companies and domestic companies. I think you're going to continue to see a lot more. Um, domestic companies at these venues, but these venues will probably provide some sort of webinar um, for those international companies that want to make themselves present via a conference to a venue of people. So, uh, you know, GES um, and a couple of these other guys are considering right. uh, doing that from from what I've heard. Right? So
1: with that, then then you'll see new kind of Silicon Valleys of education, right? uh, Any particular Mm hotspots you want to point out? Yeah, Uh,
0: Middle East, um, Vietnam, several other countries in Southeast Asia, Mexico, Brazil. Um, You know, these are these are what I would consider um, as you describe hotspots.
1: Can you talk a little bit about the difference between the development of technologies? In other parts of the world, versus the United States, where you have maybe you have one ministry of education that's the driver versus fifteen thousand different school districts. Um, well,
0: you know, in, in in these foreign countries, you've got you've got two sort of education systems. You've got the private sector, which is uh, predominantly managed by these very large school operators um you know smallest one being 50,000 students largest being upwards of 2 million and then you've got the you've got the ministry of education right each one of them has um a, a different class a different grouping of of uh, you know students predominantly socioeconomic backgrounds the private institutions you know they continue to forge forward looking at the latest and most greatest uh, technologies um you know the private sector um you know they they continue to try to provide you know tools and resources but the, you know the challenges that 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 they have is that you know it, it oftentimes it becomes very cost prohibitive for them to implement what they would like to implement in in uh in in the in the public school system so there you see a lot of um paralleled organizations mostly you know uh nonprofit organizations coming to the aids of governments to sort of buffer the the um, right. the financial gap
1: right now talk a little bit uh, about the future if you dare <laughs> there's the uh, there's the, the short-term uncertainty uh, yep. and then there's also kind of a, a longer term um, I guess yeah I mean, yep. if you if you can talk about the short term I don't know if, if anybody really can but I guess my question more is about that long term aspect. Do you see companies mm-hmm. developing technologies that look at this digital blend that we're, that we're setting into? I mean, is that going to be a, a long term outcome of all this? Um, uh, what I what I do see is um,
0: ed tech companies, you know, ed, ed tech companies and the ecosystem, both you know, domestically and international, is is a great group, uh, you know, constantly disruptive, always innovative, um, always looking at you know what what are what are the trends in education. I think what what has um, now been a new um, added component to this is. Um, these education companies now need to understand that education is not going to be done in a brick-and-mortar classroom to a very large extent, um, uh, full time, um, as, it, as it currently has, right? Either domestically or international. they're going to have to shift and be able to understand how can their how can their offerings continue to achieve the one-to-one outcomes. But now in, in a different environment, which is going to be online, and that's a combination of blended blended learning. Um, I, I think uh, one of the additional components that the, that a lot of these ed tech companies are going to have to address in taking their 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 solutions to domestic or international schools is that intersection where um, you know academics meet, meets economics, right? Um, and that in that intersection. Um, is um, quickly coming upon us um, and is going to become ever, ever so more evident and a, a topic of conversation that is going to need to, to take place because right now we're still in the early stages of, of this, this crisis. Um, everybody's on summer vacation, um, soon to be coming back. And with, with schools now having uh, decreased funding um, and having to sort of surgically cut in some areas as opposed to others, but still continue to provide, um, you know, the optimum student outcomes, they're, they're gonna have to do more with less, right? And that, that intersection is gonna be, um, it's gonna be interesting. Um, if, if I were to elaborate on, on specifically inter- interesting, um, I, I would say that uh, ed-, ed tech companies are going to need to be um, in extremely in tune with what the education institution needs are today, tomorrow, next year, and the years to come. If they're going to have any kind of chance to um, successfully um, partner up with the school – um, and have the school use their technologies because uh, schools these days um, have been forced now to obviously uh, do more with less, but at the same token, um, keep with uh, retaining those students and scaling those students, meaning year over year using the same technology, making sure it's upgraded, making sure it's current. So that's it's an interesting intersection that, that is um, – and I have to, to
1: say, it's been uh, in covering this, it's been impressive by the, the unanimous um, support of all technology companies and providers, not even just pure education. But, oh, yeah. Um, can that turn into some sort of business model for them? Uh, I mean, because at some point you have to stop uh. giving your stuff away for free, right?
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. And um, you, you'd be amazed at how these international school operators are, are willing to provide the talent, the resources, and the finances to have an organization um, be at the ready, both at the initial stages of bringing on a technology and implementing it and supporting it, but also managing it moving forward. It's almost as if they've built out a budget to do that. Um, that paralleled with um, they want to work with just a handful of organizations. So what you're seeing now from these international school operators is that they're really funneling a lot of um, who they work with into a group, so that they can go to uh, a handful of resources or organizations for their you know their their right, the products right. that they're going to use, right? Right. And, and, and so um, from a business perspective, um, yes, um, I, I would say ed tech companies stand to benefit um, if, if they can, you know, assist the school in not only just pro- selling it to the school, but also explaining to the school how it's supposed to be used on an ongoing basis and engage all those people that are going to be touching that education parent, student, facilitator, and obviously school administrator. It's almost
1: as if the industry has turned into nothing but one big IT support. support.
0: I mean, you you have to migrate away from uh, being a a technology provider to a solution provider.
1: Well, Michael, thank you so much for your time. This is uh, really interesting stuff, and I think uh, our listeners will uh, get some great insight out of it.
0: My pleasure, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. Uh, always delighted to provide uh, um, additional information and more and, uh, you know, details on those interested and in willing Great. to expand the Great, and thank
1: you for listening. And I hope you come, hope you come back always. to uh, another episode of Remote Possibilities. This is Kevin Hogan.